On the Empire Podcast this week, we dive into the mind of Lake Bell as she pops by to talk man up while Sarah Gayden slips away from Buckingham Palace to chat about a royal night out. All that and the usual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast that won't be featuring Kevin Peterson this summer, not because of underlying trust issues, but because this isn't a cricket podcast. You must be thinking of the Umpire Podcast. Oh, God. Mm. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Joining me this week are two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is a geek queen who always deploys a straight bat man. Uh-huh. A huge Warwick Davis fan. She loves the sound of leather on Willow. And her oh. favourite Star Wars character is Wicket. It's <laughs> Helen O'Hara. I, I think there were some cricket jokes in there. I'm not I sure. I don't think there were, Helen. I think that's just coincidence. I met some um, some very big fans of Willow this week. Really? Yes. Sorry, <laughs> nearly spilled out my drink there. No, I met really? I met some I met some A listers who were big big fans of Willow. So I'm not alone. I know yes. where I know where you were this week, so I could I yeah. could take an educated guess at yeah. who those A listers are. I know, but I, I I believe you're under embargo. I am. Uh, to be blunt, so yes. I won't I won't give any clues Thank as goodness. to who that might be. Excellent. Uh, because Thank God knows. Uh, revealing that would be more than your Hemsworth job's worth um, so let's move on next up is our art house guru a man who can put a devilish spin on any film you'd care to name uh, his favourite film is of course The Third Man uh, although Deep Gully the last rainforest comes a close second doesn't it Phil DeSemlian that's not even a real film but anyway is that, is that not a real film it's not a real film Fern okay. Gully is. hey I see that you've promised movie news and nonsense this week yes I so think one there's going to be <laughs> There's going to be news. <laughs> yeah. All right, so here's, uh, here's some questions. Uh, this week, both via email. Ooh. Hey, gang, says Graham Bradley. Love the podcast. Oh, that's nice. Been listening for the last two years since it became a long-haul trucker here in the States. Awesome. Keep up the good work. There you go. A long-haul trucker. Hopefully not in the vein of Duel no. or uh, Joyride. <laughs> Fingers crossed not. Chris, that's me, retweeted a pic showing uh, actors who'd portrayed a superhero. Only <laughs> feels like I can't read this week. I'm going, Chris, who portrayed a superhero, only did later portray a better one. So Ryan Reynolds playing Green Lantern and Deadpool, uh, Ben Affleck as Daredevil, and then Batman, Chris Evans as Human Torch, and then Captain America, and then uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson as Kick Ass, and then Quicksilver. Is Quicksilver playing the kick-ass? I don't know. Uh, that got me thinking, Graham Badley. Uh, who would you like to see get a second chance of playing a better hero with the likes of Jennifer Garner, Halle Berry, Adrian Palicki, or Thomas Jane to be more successful in a different role? Um, let's go to our superhero film expert, Phil. No, uh, Helen. <laughs> um, out of those ones, actually, I think uh, Adrian Palicki uh, is the one who probably stands out for me. She's, she's the one who's been linked with a lot of different f- castings of superheroes um she of course got her first chance in the swiftly cancelled not picked up <laughs> wonder woman tv show of a few years back she um, barely stopped spinning before it was cancelled yeah i mean that that really didn't to say it didn't take off is like an understatement it, it just never never even reached yeah. the runway it was still taxiing have you basically. seen the uh have you seen the pilot i mean all i've seen of that is the costume which was just awful yeah no i only saw the picture so i, yeah. I can't actually speak um okay. about that to any great degree. But um yeah, she's I mean she's obviously kind of playing a superhero on Shield yeah. at the yeah, moment. She's she Mockingbird, I think. Mark. Although she hasn't been called that yet, but you know, it's mm. there. Um but I, I don't know. I think she kind of has what it takes. She's brilliant in stuff like Friday Night Lights. Um way back in the day, Supernatural. She is incredibly tall. She is very tall. I mean, she's she towers over me and I'm 5'9". 
Can you believe that? I, I can't, Chris. I mean, I, I can believe the 5'9 bit, but not the towering. Wow. The towering. I raised myself up to my full imposing height. And she still <laughs> she still towered over me. This was at a Comic-Con thing for Red Dawn, uh, where she played, of course, uh, Red Dawn. And it's... Did, did she? I think she did. Okay. Check your IMDb, Helen. Yeah, she's, she's really cool. Weirdly enough, we'll talk about this probably later on, but um, the Supergirl trailer came out today which is which is not so much a trailer it's more of a kind of the first episode but with all the ad breaks taken out and uh, <laughs> I thought it looked really fun and Melissa pronunciation issues here Benoist mm. Benoist I'm going to go with Benoist uh, she looks fantastic in it I was kind of watching it going ooh Captain Marvel maybe you know yeah knows? which was weird for the rest of us in the office at the time <laughs> yeah, so I was going hello at, at my phone <laughs> But Phil, you know, as Hi. a as a purveyor of mm. all you're hearing is blah 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 blah. I'm hearing <laughs> I'm hearing <laughs> words. Potemkin. I'm hearing words. Some of which I recognise. <laughs> no, Bowship Potemkin. So um, I'm not hearing that at all. I know. Interesting. Just an interesting question. Mm. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> I would say, I I would say. I mean, I've got to say, I, I asked you for some tips on this one before we started. Uh, just to you know, yeah, caveat emptor. But just, Michael Keaton, I mean, I guess you could say that Birdman he kind of did play another superhero, didn't he? Mm. But, but the Which question was a better hero, and I'm a not sure hero. you get much better than than than, uh, than Michael than Batman. Um, I mean, I think you get better than Batman, obviously. But then my yeah. feelings on that are well known. But you know, his Batman's a pretty cool. Batman. It's a cool Batman. I and, agree. and actually, again, Halle, Halle Berry was mentioned in, in Graham's question, and. Of course, she's done too. Actually, she went the other way, didn't she? She went yeah. from good character to terrible character. Yeah, but then she went back, so it's okay. She did go back, yeah. Storm, Damn. Storm to Catwoman, and then back to Storm again. Back to Storm. I'd uh, like to see Anne Hathaway or Hugh Jackman have another mm-hmm. crack at it. Well, and, after and Hugh Jackman, hero. yeah, after Hugh Jackman's left, if he can leave Wolverine behind, and it's looking like that's on the cards soon. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in, you know, find another spot for him. Perhaps in the Marvel verse, maybe he's <gasps> a bad guy. What I, is that controversial? Have I said a bad thing? I mean, I just... You know, we're all friends here. I can just say whatever I like about things like this, can't I? You know, for me, uh, Hugh Jackman would be a pretty good Eddie Brock if they ever went down the Spider-Verse again and ever went down the route with doing Venom again. He'd be, or, or a good Craven. A good Craven. He'd be Craven, good he would yeah. be a good Craven. But at the same time, I don't feel the need to have him be anyone other than Wolverine. Mm. I'm very, very content with him being Wolverine. I am okay with that. Like for a long time now, I've been. I feel okay, okay with that too, but you know, when he's yeah. not Wolverine anymore, maybe he could do something different. I, d- I don't could... understand this whole when he isn't Wolverine anymore. Well, I refuse happen. to believe Brace it. Yourself. Nope. La la la. <laughs> not listening. What about Brian Blessed? Yes. <laughs> Craven the Hunter, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back in his heyday. With Spider Man! He'd be like, yeah. He could be the new Spider Man. That'd be amazing. Yeah. If that would At be. At high school. That would. That <laughs> Uncle would... Ben's alive! <laughs> He'd say, probably. Mm-hmm. Probably. Probably. Just <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Grauber? <laughs> this, this may be telling tales out of school. But I, I went, um, I was at the BBC a few weeks ago and I was signing in and Brian Blessed was also uh, in the lobby <laughs> signing in. And he's Brian Blessed, right? I mean, everyone, he's one of the most recognisable, you know, my voice is my passport, never mind that. But he looks like Brian Blessed. Yeah. <laughs> The security guards were making him sign in. He was going, I have to sign in. I'm not Al-Qaeda, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's comforting, because if he was, we'd all be in trouble. <laughs> it's just like, okay. 
nice has happened. And then I got into Little Michael Palin. That was a day. That was a day. It was all in the oh. same entry to the. Same, yeah, to Blessed and Palin were in the same uh, space at the same time. Thus, wow. putting to bed was rumours that they're the same guy. But yeah, Blessed would be amazing. There was one time in our old office when we came down uh, in the lift to the ground floor to go out for lunch, and he was just asleep on the sofa. <laughs> Brian Blessed was just having a nap on the sofa. Really? Yeah, I just thought nothing of it. And then That's went to the and got as far as Pretz and was just like, what? 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 <laughs> run back and he'd gone. It was very strange. <laughs> like a ghost in the night. Yeah. I don't know if this is a better hero, uh, okay. necessarily, but obviously his iteration of the character was, <laughs> uh, by his own admission, a disgrace. Uh, George Clooney's Batman, right? Yeah. I always thought that he would make a bitchin', and you can quote me in that, Ooh. Reed Richards. Intriguing. That's maybe because he's got grey hair. <laughs> you know, that might be it. But he's also pretty smart and, you know, he it, does that head wobbly thing, so you can always imagine his head wobbling so much it just it sort just of stretches off. Yeah. Uh, he'd be a good Tony Stark as well. He would be a good Tony Stark. He would be a good Tony Stark. And of course, he essentially already played Nick Fury in the Spy Kids movies. So, uh, so. Well, Hasselhoff's played Nick Fury, so who's the better hero for Hasselhoff to go from, from that? <laughs> To I mean, someone else. How do you even improve on Hasselhoff's Nick Fury? You can't, in fact, and that's why I've uh, started the campaign to have all the Marvel movies pulped. <laughs> mm. Least likely campaign. I have, ever. Com- uh, honestly, <laughs> Helen, I've done a complete 180. Wow. Just, just since we last spoke, Chris. Since five minutes ago. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, my mutant power is flip flopping. <laughs> and it's a hell of a power. I've done it very, very well. Um, wow, weekend we haven't even talked politics. We shouldn't talk politics Let's because we're, talk we're, politics. we're 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 you know we're unbiased in this podcast. Next question is from Patrick in London. He says, "You're in prison." Oh no! Oh shit! Oh, there's more. Um, uh, no, it's, it's a hypothetical situation. You're in prison, although the grey walls of our pod booth could be mistaken for prison. Sure. Uh, you're on death row. This gets worse. This is awful. This is awful. Along with your last meal. You're allowed to watch one last film. What would it be? Not necessarily your favourite film, says Patrick in London, but the film you'd be happy to be the last one you see. For example, mine, Patrick in London, would be a childhood favourite that stuck with me, such as The Lion King or Jurassic Park. I'm sorry, the which, did I? Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. <laughs> you know, um, from the, the, the famous line. Welcome to Jurassic Park. <laughs> of course, of course. Oh, yes, isn't there a new one about that this one. year? Yes, Jurassic World. <laughs> You are all. a sick world. Um, How are we being executed? Yeah, this is awful. This is a her- this is a terrible, terrible hy- hypothetical. I've actually <laughs> worked on death penalty cases in in Texas, and you know this is a really awful idea. Um, but but it, this is a situation that exists. <laughs> that right? said, it is, and you know it shouldn't. Chris, it shouldn't exist. It shouldn't uh, we're exist. firmly against the death yes, penalty. Yes, after just saying we were apolitical, we yeah. are anti-death penalty. Yes, um, I don't think that's going to ruffle any feathers <laughs> somehow. Well, you never know. I'll listen um, to films and you tell me what you think. Okay. Right. The Green Mile. <laughs> it's a little on the nose, Phil. The Great Escape. The Great Escape. <laughs> the Player. I was thinking the player. The that player. was going to be my answer. Yes. And here's why. Because obviously at the end, <laughs> we see Bruce Willis arrive at the very last instant yes. to rescue Julia Roberts. Mm-hmm. So that would be an encouraging uh, sort of motif. Yes, but there's no, there's no Hollywood ending for you, Helen, after well, what you've done. That. After what you've done to be <laughs> on death row. Yeah, well, Something probably so barbaric nothing, that we can't even speak of it in this yeah, podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And um, bad things, very bad things. But yeah, the Hollywood ending would be nice. Yeah. Or... The other approach would be, if, along those lines, if you're stalling, 
Something ah, really long, really okay. like Berlin Alexanderplatz. Alexanderplatz, yeah, exactly. Or Shoah, maybe what not What was Shoah. that 19, is it Empire, the Andy Warhol <coughs> film that's 19 uh, hours long? Yeah. Well, yes. there, was a, there was a film released in 2011, actually was screened somewhere. I don't remember being in my local cine world, but uh, it's called Modern Times Forever, brackets, Stora Enso Building, Helsinki. It's 240 hours long. It lasts for 10 days and shows how Helsinki's Stora Enso headquarters building would decay over the next few thousand years. I'd go for that one. That is a good choice. I'll yeah. be honest. Yeah. And then I'd go, oh, I didn't quite get it. Can you show it again? <laughs> uh, please, that would be nice. Well, it sounds um, like you'd be wishing for the sweet release of, of death. <laughs> <laughs> About the ninth hour. <laughs> I'd strap myself into the chair and go, right, guys, I'm done. Let's go for it. <laughs> I'm ready. If, if you're watching a long a long film, would you get a second last meal? Oh yeah, like I mean, if it's ten days, you kind of need one, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. This is a, a this good is really question. morbid. No, but the, the the point stands. Would you want a happy film so you'd be like you know a Shawshank Redemption always, even though it probably wouldn't be the ideal film to watch in prison, uh, always leaves me on a on a high, and maybe in my mind. I'd be going to that metaphorical say what to know, uh, mm. you know, as mm. the electricity is powered through my body. I don't think they do that anymore. They don't. No, no, it's oh, drugs okay. now. Usually, I think I, it's. Although they can't get the drugs anymore, so they're not having to go back to um, the electric chair in a few places. Funny. People are refusing to wow. sell them lethal. This drugs. is a fun question. Isn't it? Thanks a lot, Patrick in London. <laughs> uh, so, what would you guys watch? Last film. Uh, the last one. The last Raiders one. of the Lost Ark. Yeah? Yeah. With subtitles on, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Apu, Apu trilogy. That's all you're hearing. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the player was a semi-serious answer, but I think probably something like Up, maybe, might be a good option. Or or Toy Story, which is... Toy Story 3, which is kind of about, you know, accepting change and <laughs> death and loss and all the rest, which might be appropriate. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor <laughs> podcast, uh, mm. do cheer us up uh, by sending it in on Twitter. We're at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast or chances are we won't see it. Uh, we're on Facebook, Emperor Magazine. And you can email us as Patrick in London and Graham Bradley both did. Uh, what's the address? Uh, podcast at EmperorOnline.com. That's it. That's it. I've remembered it now. Time now for our first guest. Lake Bell is perhaps best known for her sterling work as writer, director and star in the excellent indie com uh, in a world, at least in this country she is. That's about to change for she's cracking in the forthcoming rom-com Man Up in which the New York actress dons a fantastic English accent to play a single lady who gets mixed up in a night of craziness with Simon Pegg. That Pegg. Honestly, what, what will he do next? Uh, Phil went along to talk to Lake last week because only Phil is allowed to talk to the pretty ladies on this podcast. Uh, enjoy. Okay, let's get some levels. That sounds good. How do levels. You sound? you sound good. I Hi, sound welcome. adequate. You sound better than I do. That's because I have a cold. Is it? Have you, you just stepped off the plane, I guess. I'm going to put my drums all over this microphone. Is that okay? Uh, that'll be fine. Okay, good. Be, I'm sure they're excellent, like, you're, you're, top germs. Okay, good. You're, that ear's red. This one? Yeah. Oh, my God, I can't believe you just pointed that out. Oh, oh my ears go red for no reason. I think really? it's because they're so big. I lose control of blood flow. Really? They've done that since I was a kid. Oh, that's really endearing. Do you think so? Yeah, it's oh, cute. It's kind of weird. No, People no, think I'm cool. signaling to like turn No, no, left. it's actually good. Right. Yeah, because that means you're unique. Like you're special. Nobody else has that. I think. No, it's true. Do you think so? Yeah, oh, for sure. What do you have that no one else has? I have a strong beak. A strong I've beak? St- yeah. Oh, a strong, strong okay. Yeah. Yeah. So see, me, my husband, but my husband kind of wins because his is even better. Like in our family... Of our small family of three, because we just had a baby. 
um, we have very prominent uh, noses as well as I feel like I always work with people with prominent noses as well. Do you? Yeah, like um, on Children's Hospital. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but like, wow, some really great um, schnozzes. Really? Yeah. Have you got some 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 seriously great schnozzes lined up for your next project, um, The Emperor's it's Children? A great point. Um, that's how I cast people. Talk based me through. On talk me there. through the cast. <laughs> no, so noses. far so far I've got Jeff Bridges. Yeah. I mean he he's got great features. He's got the word general. bridge in his nose. Yeah, I mean he's, in he's his brilliant. Name, I know. Yeah. It's just um, I'm very lucky. But I mean, did you see in a world? Yes. If you hadn't, it's okay. It's yeah. okay. I'm not gonna <laughs> test me. Yeah. No. But but Dimitri Martin. Yes. Amazing nose. Yes. I mean, Sue, that's a good point. Late Bell, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Oh, thank you. Um, I was hoping that you, with your inner world yes. head on, might introduce the podcast for me. Oh, but. okay. I mean, I am sick. Look, I just want the great voice aficionados to know okay. that the history and texture that you're feeling in my voice right now right. is a red eye, yes, a new infant, and a cold. Okay. So those are all the sort of that's the backstory. That's but now the you say, history. "Hi, I'm Late Bell. Welcome to the Empire Podcast." Hi, I'm Lake Bell, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. That was good. That was, despite all of the... Really? All of the... All the Hi, odds, I'm Lake Bell. The odds stacked against you, that came off nicely. There was a tweet from Tess Morris, the screenwriter of oh. Man Up, just about an hour ago saying that you've arrived in London, which is true, I can vouch for that, you're right here in London, and that she's betting £4.50 she will, that you will look very smart and very stylish this evening. <laughs> she's betting everyone, pa- everyone pa- on Twitter... Really? That's gonna. That could cost her. Oh my god. Um. Okay. Okay. That's fair. I'm gonna wear sweatpants. <laughs> Do you know what I wore on the plane? Which was I almost tweeted. Which is their. Tr- it's track tracksuit bottoms. Tracksuit um, bottoms. Um. As as well as a sweatshirt. Um. In it like like a NASA space suit. Really? Have like, you ever seen this? No. It's like a print. Like it looks like you're wearing a NASA space suit, but. It's comfy. With the helmet? And the... I didn't have the helmet. Okay. Um, but, I mean, I think this just in, but I won first class. <laughs> because everyone was like, who is this maniac on a red eye wearing a full NASA spacesuit? That is amazing. It was a present from my husband. What do you win if you win first class? Um, the championship <laughs> <laughs> of life. You are today's big winner. Well, you know, welcome to London. Thank I you. wish you were still wearing the spacesuit, and I, I think you should maybe wear it for the for the, scre- for the, for the screening for, for the, the premiere screening. tonight. Screening. I don't know whether that would leave Tess and her four pounds fifty, but it would be amazing to shit. see. Are we allowed to say shit? Yeah, yeah. Okay, absolutely. Are you allowed to say You're, fuck? Uh, <laughs> no. Yes. No. You can say whatever you like. Oh, okay. I didn't good. really. I didn't set the ground rules for this. Uh, okay. So far, quite anarchic podcast. Okay. But you can say whatever you like. It's okay. absolutely fine. Um, I wanted to ask you because. Tess obviously wrote the screenplay for this film. Yes. Um, and it's got some hilarious stuff in it. Some great, And it's based on, just to put into context, your character, Nancy, meets a girl who's on a train. She's got a self-help book. Yeah. She's using that as the, uh, there's probably a Latin expression for this. I can't think of what it is. But the sort of... Don't think. The, the, no, it's the thing that's going to, that's going to, there's only, I can't even think of the English version for it. It's the thing that she's going to recognize her date with. The, um, uh, uh, yes. Yes. But she gives it to you. And you... The symbol d'être. That's nothing. Yeah, that's... It doesn't mean anything. It's no, French. It sounds, like, you know, it sounds like it might I just I had to clear my throat, actually. Okay. I just have a cold. So I just was clearing my throat. That, that wasn't actually a word. That worked both ways. Um, no. She, yeah. So she you, she's using this book as a symbol of her I'm here-ness. Yes. <laughs> which is a professional term. Yes. In words. Um, it's a meet cute, right? Yes. I guess. Oh. Do we use that word? I don't oh, know. Yeah, that's an ex- nice. a meet cute, right? Yeah. Let's do that. Um, but yeah, so, and, uh, and I think it's uh, a bunch of rubbish. 
The book. Yeah, the book. Not the whole, because you're in Waterloo Station, which is no, a tough... No, no, no. I think, you know, I think, look, I relate to it. My brother, who's awesome, um, my older brother, he's the guy in my life that, and the person that's always reading books and sort of referencing them and giving me quotes and like, you know, you should really read this chapter on such and such. You know, it's like no matter what we're talking about, there's always like a chapter on something. Yes. Um, and so I kind of relate to Nancy's like, for the love of fucking God, like, do we really need to, you know, can you just take your book and shove it up your, you know? Um, sorry, can I say that? Yes. Okay. Um, so the point is, um, I related to that. Yes. That's, that's where I was going with that. Yes. It's lovely. Thanks. Which book would you use as your meet cute? Oh, the Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, perhaps, by um, William Shearer? Uh, how about just, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> is there a movie know. book? What is there a like, film book that you would use? A film... You know what? I wouldn't... Honestly, I wouldn't use a book because mm. I think it's a little bit cute, which I think is the reference, right? Like, yeah. it's a little bit... You know, that's what Tess is saying. It's a little on the nose. I mean, if I was really answering it honestly, I... I, I feel like you know that's it's the equivalent of of you know like a, a you know a carnation on your lapel or something, um, but I think that's what she's saying. At the end of the day, I think I I mean I'm very reticent to go on. A, I would be reticent to go on a blind date. I mean, I'm married, so it would be virtually crazy for me to go on a blind date at this point. But um, but yeah. So I beforehand, I I I only went on one, and I was like, no boy. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you had any blind date tips, I, to do's, to not do's. Well, I it's so fucked up because I will set people up a lot on blind dates, but like I never was an active participant of, of the no. blind date culture. So, but I like to do it because as adults, I kind of feel like you know what, if I'm vetting someone and you know, yeah, you know, it's like you just say yes. You know, it's like why not? Like, and in this day and age, when there's so much, there's so much, there's so much media that you can look up and Google anyone. Mm. It doesn't even. It's hard to become blind anymore. I mean, I often say if I'm going to set people up with them, I don't give them the last name. I'm just like Stacy. Yeah. You know, Stacy who? Ah, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you Google that. You know. So maybe I even give them like an alias. You know. Really? You wouldn't give them the correct name? No. So they don't even know what the person's called when they meet correct. them? Correct. <laughs> what they look like? That's true blindness. <laughs> but that is next level matchmaking. Well, you know. Are there I people out there now that have gone on your blind dates that are still looking for their partners? <laughs> yeah, totally. At the meetings? Just aimless. Just yeah. all, all the people at Waterloo Station. They're just trying to they're find... Just, yeah, that's all they're, they're but just trying to find. We haven't quite finished the setup because obviously Sorry. Simon Pegg's character mistakes you for his real blind date. Yeah. Now, I, am I right in thinking that this happened to Tess a little Something along uh, these lines. Yes, it did happen to Tess. However, she did not go along with saying, yeah, I am your <laughs> blind date, you know, and, and keep going. She said, but it, it, it prodded the question of, well, what if I had said yes? So that's where she wrote. The, she wrote the script based on that um, encounter that she had. It's a great premise. It's a great pretext yeah. for, for romantic comedy. Nancy, we see at the very beginning of the movie, she's, she's quite, she's almost kind of like, She's not cynical and jaded, but she also kind of is on the way there a little bit in terms of meeting someone. Yeah. I mean, what I think is really cool about her um, and refreshing is that she's she's pretty on the front foot. Like, she's very proactive because she's being forced to, to kind of take on these mantras that her sister is, um, you know, sort of forcing her into. So she's trying to take chances. She's making a go of it. But, yeah, she's definitely a place where she's allowed to be a little cynical. You know, she's in her 30s and she's you know she's just gone through a breakup but what i like about her is that she's not so misanthropic that she can't tie her shoes you know i think often 
these characters can be, you know, it's like, oh, this is like down on her luck girl is like dumped by her boyfriend and fired and stepped in dog shit and, you know, fell over a banana peel. I mean, it just gets so ridiculous. Um, whilst I think, you know, Nancy is is a real person. So that 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 for me, I, I, I definitely enjoy her cynicism in a very earnest, sweet way. It's mm-hmm. kind hearted. It's not like you know, mean-spirited. And that's what I like about the movie. And she gives stuff a go. I mean, sure. when she's sort of catapulted into this awkward date, she, you know, not the Simon Pegg one, the pre-Simon Pegg one at the beginning. Yeah. Prior to that, though, she's decided not to go to this engagement party because she'd rather watch Silence of the Lambs and get amazing-looking room service. And I could kind of relate to that a little bit. Yeah. What movie would you miss a party for? Um, King of Comedy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would go straight Sandra Bernhardt and um, uh, Robert De Niro or Ellie Scorsese. Good call. Fair it is. Very fair. Thanks. Any party. All parties. Um, pretty much any party for that movie. I mean, you know, another movie that I think Tess Morris and I definitely overlap on is Moonstruck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a classic. So, I mean, if you want to feel like romantic and stuff. Um, but if you want to get dark um, or just weird, we could do like we. Like as <laughs> we're going to like miss some parties together. Um, you know, what about like monsters or no, you could do. Oh, Fireman's Ball. Early sort of Mila Foreman, that'd yeah. be fun. Or Bob and Car- Carolyn Tendalis. Yes, you I know think... th- that's also funny. Yes, oh. Czech New Wave. Yes, I mean I would miss a party for the Czech why, New Wave. Why wouldn't you miss yeah. a party for Czech New Heck Wave? Yes. Now I don't know. I how thought you... you were like check your New Wave, and I was like, yeah, first of all, like... is that a hair thing? Because no, like, no. and then I was like, ah, check with a Z. Yes, it sounded like a sort of beast. I was just garbling Beastie Boys lyrics at you. Yeah, I know. Check New Wave. <laughs> check the New Wave. <laughs> um, the you went to Rose Buford. Drama school, which is in Kent, yeah. which I get, yeah, yeah. governor. Yeah, go on. <laughs> you're at the Dick, Dick Van Dyke uh, right. semester. Yeah. But your, your British accent is uh, unbelievable in this movie. <laughs> A British accent, English accent, home county, it's very specific. Yeah. Can you do other English regional dialects? Can you, know you do Geordie or. Um, I, no, I would, never, I would never attempt to do any of those things without training. I mean, okay. I, yes, I, I am cheating a little bit because I went to college here and for four years you know um but yeah it's it's it was it was difficult and with great effort that um you know I took this character on and I wanted to ensure that it sounded like someone you would freaking talk to you know and um and sound like someone that I would relate to so um not dissimilar to my own um we got it um we um not dissimilar to my own um accent in American which Mm. is like you know kind of an esri kind of yes. not you know it's like a middle class accent you're like why don't you sound like you're from new york you know you talk <laughs> like that you know it's not like that it's sort of that kind of accessible middle range wandsworth if you will but yeah i think um you know jill mccullough who's my my dialect coach yes. i you know she and i took it really seriously i started like two months ahead of time um skype classes and sessions and then the yeah. second i landed in, in london i was um i was living in the accent so oh, really throughout yeah it was very impressive thanks um a couple of quick fire questions then i think i'm going to be dragged out okay but um i wanted to ask you about you go bowling with simon Pegg in this movie yeah is he a good bowler in real life yes actually is he yeah is he better than you are you better than him is no it... no he's definitely better than oh, he me. Is. and it was you know in the movie it's like oh she's better than he is you know like she's really good nailing it but in truth he was like totally better than i was yeah and at first i wanted to you know I'm the kind of bowler where the first one I do, I'm like, I tell everyone that I suck. You yeah. Know? I'm just like, you guys, seriously, I, I, I don't think that I'm like secretly good, you know? 
and then I bowl, and then it's ace. Like, you know, I get them all day. It's just, what is it called? Strike? Striking. I don't even know. Strike. Determinality. You know, strike, and then, um, you know, and then everyone's like, oh, you were lying. You know, you're really good. And then after that, they realized that it's just gutter balls from the rest. So we kept having to... <laughs> to um, do a take where it would go down straight towards the camera. Yeah. And at one point, I think I like I hit the camera. <laughs> you know, it was just, I, I was, I'm really an appalling bowler. But, got, you know, got, I mean well. <laughs> so. I come with good intentions. Yeah, um, and in a world, you do an amazing impression of a Russian voiceover for Star Wars. Yes. Have you been approached for The Force Awakens to do the, uh, the droids? You know, what's crazy is that the phone has not rung about that. Um, so... Listen, the night is young. If you know a guy or a girl who could get me in there, I'm still uh-huh. available. Because there are droids. Could be Russian. Um, uh, listen, I'm available for any Star Wars <laughs> voiceovering or um, characters at all. So if, if this is what this is really about. It's very last question. Okay. You are directing again. Yes. We've, we've touched on it already. Uh, the Empress Children. It's a book adaptation. Um, we have had actors, direct, stroke directors on the podcast before. I don't know where the stroke bit came from, but, you know, okay. people that have acted and directed, yeah. and there's a very big difference. It, it consumes you for a year, more than a year yeah. even, and you have to throw it, and you're writing it as well, the adaptation. In no, no, no. sorry, Noah, Noah Baumbach's written yes. it. I apologize. Me and Noah look very similar, so I understand. Um, <laughs> but it is a huge commitment. What is it that makes you want to give a year of your life to this particular thing? Is um, there one thing you could put your finger, you could pinpoint? I mean, I'm from New York City, you know, and this is very much a New York story, and um, coming off of in a world, you know, this was very much, um, you know, a really interesting sort of sophomore endeavor. You know, it's my next project that I'm doing as a director, and but it's an entirely new cocktail of creativity in, in in my team. So, you know, I didn't write it, and um, I'm doing it for Imagine, and my bosses are, you know, Erica Huggins and Brian Grazer and Ron Howard, and my star is Jeff Bridges, and, you know, it's a different scope, and mm. um, and it's a different tone, and so, you know, it's a drama, and I think it's just enticing to try to do something different, because um, after all, I mean, really, uh, you know, the dream is to try to sort of diversify. And some top schnozzes to look out for. Great schnozzes in future. Great. Some of the best beaks in the in the biz. Put that on the poster. <laughs> like, thank you so much. Sure thing. It was a pleasure. I just realized it's like you you monopoly on the pretty ladies this week. All the pretty ladies. All, All the, the pretty, pretty ladies. Oh no, I didn't mean to sing that. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? All Sorry. single ladies? Sorry, everybody. She's awesome, isn't she, Phil? Yeah, oh, yes. She is really awesome. Really funny. She's so good in this film as well. I know we're not mm. reviewing it, are we? Two so, weeks time. Two weeks time. I didn't say that. Yeah, but and her her English accent. Oh, you didn't realize that she went to drama school over here. Yeah, she did. Rose yeah. Buford, which is where Gary Gary Oldman went. Yeah, in uh, in Kent, and uh, so she picked up the accent there. So she describes as cheating, but I don't think you can cheat an accent that good. It's really fabulous, and it makes a big difference. It's it up does. there with um, with uh, Renny Zellweger and Bridget Jones, yeah. perhaps even better. Did yeah. she mention on the podcast? Because obviously, I haven't heard it at this point. Did she mention about the story where she stayed in the accent the entire time through filming? And then at the end, on the very last day, she gave a speech to... So she didn't talk about this. So she gave a speech on the very, very last day <clears throat> to all the cast and crew, thanking them for their hard work and their effort and blah, blah, blah. And and then she came out as American. And most of the crew didn't know that she was American and they got really angry with her <laughs> for deception and subterfuge. <laughs> it all went wrong very, very quickly. Um, that, was, that was fun times, which shows how good the accent is. It does. Yeah. Nothing like when you do an interview with someone and then 
the better story gets related <laughs> by someone else after you've finished. Well, I was hoping she wouldn't tell you that because oh. that, that story is in the That's magazine. Story. I've just ruined that oh. story now, but it's in the next issue of Empire if you want to pick it up. And, um, That's a good story. Do whatever you want to do with it. All right, uh, should we talk about some movie news? Sure. Uh, so the biggest movie news this week, never mind what I've written down there, guys, is that we just this has just come to light. It's a... <laughs> New shit has come to light, and it's <laughs> really, really serious. Johnny Depp has apparently been accused by the Australian government of smuggling his two dogs, uh, <laughs> Boo and Pistol, into the country, into Queensland specifically, uh, while shooting Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. And uh, this is one of the best things I've ever heard. This is the Australian... I feel you lived in, the, in that country mm-hmm. for a while. It, with this guy, prominent, Barnaby Joyce. He's the agriculture minister, okay? So... I want you to, I'm going to play a little bit of his statement now, okay? Mm-hmm. And I want you to bear in mind, this is a man who's a politician in government. He's been presumably elected by the people of Australia to represent them in agricultural matters. All right, here we go. They go into quarantine and then you can have them. But if, you, if we start letting movie stars, even though they've been the sexiest man alive twice, to come into our nation, then why don't we just break the laws for everybody? Uh, so uh, it's time that Pistol and Boo... Bugger off back to the United States. There you go. <laughs> An Bugger off back to the United States, dogs. That's electric oratory from a politician. <laughs> <laughs> we will fight them on the beaches. Yeah, what? what is that? What's happening? It's time. Justice for, for Blue and Pistol. Warm bad and Pistol. <laughs> Bug it off back to America. It's not their decision. They're dogs. I don't yeah. know. He shows an, an incredible knowledge of Depp's career. I didn't know he'd been voted the sexiest man alive twice in a row. Oh, it wasn't in a row. I think oh, it was about 20 years apart. 20 years apart? Mm. Oh, my word. That's even I thought he was going to start... Remarkable consistency. I thought he was going to start summarising some of Depp's career highlights there for a minute. <laughs> Who doesn't love Nick of Time? A thriller years ahead of its uh, of, of itself. <laughs> Real hey, time. How about news, though? How, what? That's oh. not news? <laughs> that's not news? I mean, no. Kind of. I got yeah, some news. Right. Bring okay. it. Okay, it's the new mutants question mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you've, you've I'm assuming this has got something to do with the old mutants, but you've younger. Sk- oh, I see you've skipped ahead on, the, like on mutant, the news agenda. Is this like mutant babies? You've basically yes. gone from the lead story to the the water scenes, water skiing squirrel. We don't That's believe we're, what you've done. The lead story being the depth, the depth dogs. No, the lead story is Harry Shearer quitting The Simpsons. Oh, well, I've shifted the order around. That's fine. You're you're entirely you're entitled yeah. to do that. That's absolutely fine. Let's talk about the new mutants then. Okay. Uh, I was trying to keep the comic book stuff. Oh, later in the agenda, okay. I see. Obviously, but anyway, uh, yeah. yeah. Let's discuss this. So Fox. Uh, are obviously trying to construct an X-Men universe uh, because that's pretty much all they have. And uh, so they have, next year, there's a flurry of uh, mutant films coming. So we have uh, Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool in February. Then in May, we have X-Men Apocalypse. Um, as Brian Singer shared today's Daily Shot, he's sharing an <laughs> awful lot from that set at the moment. And and then later in the year, I think around October, we have Channing Tatum, Channum, as, uh, as Gambit. Uh, not a remake of the... Colin Firth, Cameron Diaz, Alan Rickman movie. My goodness. Um, but the the card throwing Cajun look, which was in itself, of course, a remake of the Michael Caine indeed movie. Indeed. But you're saying it's nothing to do with that? No. Either of those. No. Yeah. Okay. No. So they're just milking. I mean, they're just they're just ex- <laughs> um, they're expanding the X expanding universe. the universe. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's it's a little. It's, it's an inter- it depends, I guess, on the lineup of the new mutants because mm-hmm. some of them we've actually seen. Shall we exp- who, who are the new mutants? Well, I mean, again, it depends on the lineup, but we've we've had 
kind of sun up some of them in uh in X-Men Days of Future Past because we saw uh Sunspot wasn't he was in that yes he for was for example so yeah the new mutants but the concept of is oh the concept, concept was basically sort of some of the students at Xavier's school for the gifted because the X-Men are basically the teachers let's face it the new mutants were some of the of the students essentially teaming up and getting into their own uh exploits I guess um so you had uh, yeah, people like I'm. Oh God, I'm trying to think. Remember now, there was. Uh, I remember Ilyana. Was she mm-hmm. Demon Child? What did she go by? Well, I remember Cannonball. Cannonball, yes. Zamo. Okay, now you're just saying words. That was, that was great. <laughs> uh, Blink, Boom Boom. Blink, of course, boom, has already boom, been an X Men. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cipher. Yeah. Feral. Cipher. <laughs> Cipher was the weird Wait. alien robot dude, right? Did you say Feral? Yeah, Feral. Yeah, not Will Feral. Feral, as in like feral. As in wolfy and... As in feral, mate. As Deb's dogs are feral. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So why is that stupider than geezer? I guess you're it's just... not stupider than geezer. It's just, I'm just, you know, no, geezer is not unofficially sanctioned uh, X-Men. X-Men. Or, or New Mutant. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I've, like, I have trouble keeping them all straight because I read lots of their adventures because they kind of tied into the X-Men. Mm. But I never quite cared about them as much. Here's um, the problem I'm having with the X universe at the moment, and sure. I really love the films a lot, is there's just so many characters now. I'm mm. really struggling to get any traction on what the heck's going on. But then on. Maybe, maybe that's why you, you spin them out into their own films and actually give them a chance to, to strut their stuff. I think the danger is, if you're going to spin them out, then then keep the numbers a little bit down. So I think what we saw with X-Men Origins call on Wolverine was there is such a, such a thing as too much of a good thing. Um, but weirdly, Days of Future Past, they managed to to balance it a little bit better and give people a little bit more to do with the exception of people like Sunspot who got completely overlooked. Um, so it's an interesting one. I mean, maybe maybe this way everybody gets their chance in somewhere in the universe to have their own story. But, but what it feels like to me is that obviously we're in the middle of a superhero glut in cinemas, which is great and fine, but they're, they're not just the, the so many superhero movies, but there's so many superhero movie, superheroes in the movies that it, it, it yeah. become, it's becoming, it feels like it's becoming crowded a little bit. Like well, Captain yeah, America that's... Civil War, for instance. Um, just a lot of stuff going on, a lot of characters, and I kind of wish they'd just slightly... But it, depends, it depends how good the storytelling is, because I think if you, if you tell the story right, I mean, and I think Days of Future Past is a really good example of this, if you mm. tell the story right, you, you kind of justify people's presence for the most part, then it doesn't really matter. If you have, mm. if you have everybody who matters getting a character art, arc and the people who don't matter getting a moment to look cool but not actually wasting any more time on them then i think that's okay because that's essentially what they did in that film Mm. they had some people who looked cool and they looked cool and that was all they did and that was fine and then they had the people who actually got some some meat to play with and they actually got to play with that Mm. um i think as long as you as long as you manage to yeah well yeah but i mean who cares about her really come on let's all be serious who what what anna paquin yeah not really not massively come Come on now come on anyway come on Point being, I think I think that's a quite a good example of the way that they should be trying to do this stuff, um, and I think uh, actually Age of Ultron managed managed it pretty well as well. gave gave people some some yeah. something to sink their teeth into. I think you know, in and in terms of an X Men movie, criticizing it for having too many characters is perhaps missing the point of a team movie. But I would say that this, who knows? I mean, is this too many? Are they hedging? Are they you know hedging their bets on placing their bets rather on too many? superhero films before they know the Gambit and Deadpool fly. Who knows? But um, Josh Boone, who is the director of The Fault in Our Stars and is the man who's currently tasked with making a four-film adaptation of Stephen King's The Stand, 
is going to write and direct it. And Simon Kimberg and Lauren Shuler Donner, who uh, Lauren Shuler Donner is the sort of overlord of all the X Men movies, and she has been since way back in the in the day. And Simon Kimberg has kind of assumed a role, I guess, yeah. um, as kind of also an, an overseer of that franchise. Uh, they'll be producing it, so it's it's intriguing. It is. He's also, of course, <clears throat> overseeing Fantastic Four as well, he and is. It, which. Uh, you know, increases the likelihood and, of some kind Star of crossover Wars. there. And he's part of the Star Wars brain trust. He's well. a busy man, Simon he's a very Kimberg. Busy man. And he was producer in Chappie as well. So, very, very, very busy guy. Uh, I'm intrigued. I don't know. Will it get to the starting line? I mean, you know, they have announced projects in the past and it hasn't happened. X Men First Class had a completely different concept and a completely different director back in the day before it became something else. There was a Magneto spin off announced, there was talk of a Storm spin off. So, we've been down this route before doesn't necessarily mean it'll get made but uh, what I would say is that if they're going New Mutants don't you know there's been talk of an X-Force movie for years and years and years um, Helen would know what this means but I think that we may see Cable in the X-Men uni- movie universe sooner rather than later oh no that would be interesting oh, yeah, that, that would, would be, be good inter- Phil knows ex- you, uh, Phil I can see you've got the Cable t-shirt on alright let's move on uh, from comic book stuff to we've got some more stuff to talk about later oh, yeah. on but yeah the Harry Shearer thing so I don't know if you saw this story today but there, there's there's uh, Harry Shearer has apparently said that he is quitting The Simpsons after 25 years um and this may be a negotiation ploy. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, certainly there, there's been talk in the past that he and the, the key cast members would be leaving just, you know, it's maybe to get Fox to give them more money. But it does seem like as as right now, as of this recording, that Harry Shearer is leaving the, leaving the, uh, the Simpsons. So what does that mean? I mean, it, he is, of course, uh, you know, most of the best characters. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Ned Flanders, uh, Mr. Burns, mm-hmm. um Seymour Skinner. Seymour Skinner. Smithers, yeah. I think, as well. Smithers. Yes. I didn't know he played Smithers and Burns. Yeah, yeah. I know. So it must a little, do um, interesting. Little incestuous. Yeah. But uh, it, it's it's inconceivable to imagine the world without him, frankly. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah. If he leaves. Do you think they should just stop? Shouldn't they just stop? I mean, these aren't integral characters, but... But they his, are. But yeah, you can, you can go on without... Burns and Mr. Burns and Smithers and and also there's a wider conversation here which is is anyone watching The Simpsons these days? Well, I mean I was, clearly there must be but I was going to say at a risk of seeming a bit out of the loop <clears throat> I didn't know he was still doing it until today okay I haven't really watched The Simpsons for about quite a long time I loved it very much for about seven or eight seasons and then I felt like it sort of went off the boil and I'm not really sure if it ever came back I don't know have you seen it? I kind of feel like the Every time I watch a New Simpsons episode, and I don't, it's not appointment TV for me anymore by any stretch of the imagination, but every time I catch one when it's on Sky, I think, not as good as it used to be, but still probably funnier than Most 90% of sitcoms that are on TV these days. Yeah. The, the standard of the writing, the voice work is still absolutely up there. The guest stars they get, you know, now they're getting guest writers, you know, now and again to do stuff. It's mm. still absolutely fine, but is it, does it still feel relevant? Does it still feel crucial? I don't know if it does, but it clearly still makes a lot of money for Fox and a lot of money for everyone who's involved and, you know, they're going to carry on mm. forever. But I just kind of feel if, if Shearer does leave, then that kind of, it, it's the first nail in the coffin for me. Your brother, Nick, today on Fiber, because you know, we have a Fiber account as well, if you want to follow us in there, um, is, uh, he said, you know, shock news, 
Harry Shearer's leaving The Simpsons. Shock news, they're still making The Simpsons. And I kind of feel that maybe our generation, that's what The Simpsons is nowadays, that thing that we used to watch and the movie came out wasn't that good and okay, that that was it. But there must be a generation below us who are still watching it and still loving it and still discovering yeah. it. So Yeah, it's um I mean, obviously when uh when Phil Hartman was tragically killed, yeah. uh, they retired his characters. Yes, they did. But they were never as central. And no. I don't know that you can retire this lot and still have The Simpsons, so you would have someone else taking over these these voices, which is uh, just, yeah, I, I have trouble imagining how that would work. So, I yeah. don't know. Kent Brockman, we'll have to he watch, does that as well. Yeah, we'll have to watch carefully and see how this goes. Yeah. Kent Brockman's my favourite. You love him? Love him. You love him. Love him. Love him, mate. Right, so intriguing. So, uh, just a couple of very, very quick things to talk about. Uh, Diego Luna in Star Wars Anthology, colon, Rogue One. Uh, with Ben Mendelsohn confirmed as a villain. All good? Thumbs up? Everyone yeah. likes? Yeah. Yeah, all good. Interesting. It's tough to talk about this one, isn't it? Because we don't know anything about it. <laughs> he could be playing the Death Star for all we know. Um, I mean, that seems unlikely, I'll be honest. He'd have to pack on some weight. Yeah, he would. I, I, I don't see him wanting to put, put on that much weight. Um, I'd have to pack on weight and become a killing machine. I don't I'm, fancy it, guys. I'm, I'm interested to see Reese Witherspoon, Witherspoon is uh, apparently attached to produce and star in a film called Pale Blue Dot. And the reason I'm interested is that that at one point was the going to be the title of Men, Women and Children, which was a terrible film. Um, <laughs> so uh, so hopefully, if, if she does indeed make that, it will be a better film. It's a, a story about um, uh, basically personal dramas in the life of an astronaut, not sort of the gravity kind of mm. crisis in space, but more crisis back down on Earth. Mm. And Pale Blue Dot, of course, is... Uh, isn't it from a Carl Sagan quote? Yeah, probably? reference yeah. to Earth. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of, couple of things... Um, to mention as well that the Fugitive remake, oh god, yeah, of course, is underway at Warner Brothers. At least it's at an early, an early point. They're in the middle of a hard target search for <sighs> someone in the studio who has something new to do. We don't know very much about it at this point, but this is the idea that they're going to just remake the Fugitive. Um, any thoughts on that one? I can, I can see why they would do it. It's it's not, you know, the, the studio is a moment of casting about for intellectual property that they can mine and why not go back and this uh, it's a beloved film but more than that obviously it was a beloved TV show beforehand so why not it's been remade once why not remake it again sure uh, but I love that film and I'd be I'd be peering very closely at anyone who made that you know through a, a little <laughs> beady eye um, yeah I love that film so I, I'd be very intrigued to see but what someone could do with it but at the same time you could make it fresh you could with the internet and with mobile phones and with gps tracking how much more difficult is it for a, a normal guy yeah. to elude captivity that might be quite fun to go down that way so who knows but it's a fairly i mean i guess my point with it is it's a fairly it's a fairly straightforward sort of hitchcockian premise for a yeah. film isn't it the wrong man on the lamb being chased mistaken identity you know and a murder mystery at the, at the heart of it um mm. Is the fugitive as a brand so powerful that they can't just create something new? Is that is it just that the marketing is is already kind of in place because you've got this brand awareness? And does it have that much brand awareness with the new generation? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. It just feels like you can't get two yards into a story without talking about brands. But at the, but at the same time, if they if they just made a new story that involved the wrong man being framed for the murder of his wife and having to go on a run from a a, a policeman, we'd all go, "Oh, that's just a fugitive ripoff." So why not just do the fugitive? I'm assuming there'll be more. You know, like you say, they'll be giving it a spin. There'll be more to it than that, rather than just a straight remake. Because that would be pointless. Because that film's yeah. not even that dated at this point. I think. 
Um, got another one quickly. Another uh, quick oh, one. I, yeah, I, just oh, want to say, I just want to say one last thing about that. Two last things, actually. One, I'm much more on board that film if Harrison Ford plays Sam Gerard. That's interesting. Ooh, intriguing. Uh, two, uh, yeah, I kind of we we talk about this all the time. The propensity for remakes and the you know, as you said, the glut of comic book movies, and is that a bad thing? Ultimately, I read this week as well that they're going to remake the craft, and that's surely the point at which we just stop, isn't it? That's just surely <laughs> you know that, that's just overload. No one needs to remake the craft. He didn't need to make the craft in the first place. Just stop, stop. Maybe it'll be better. Maybe we shouldn't be remaking great films. Maybe we should be making. You know, okay ones, vaguely yeah. okay ones that have an inexplicable cult following. <laughs> so, true. you know, maybe that's the way to do it. That's true. To be honest. Um, there is, of course, one big um, comic book story we haven't talked about yet. Sam Jackson. No. Supergirl. No. Ava DuVernay. Ava DuVernay. Ava DuVernay. Um, who is said to be in talks with, uh, with Marvel. Uh, they reckon it's for either Black Panther or Captain Marvel. I don't see why it shouldn't be also for Thor Ragnarok. Why not? It's just me. Um, no, it's not just you. Uh, we discussed this previously in the podcast. Uh, you know, it's it's commendable, absolutely commendable sure. that Marvel and DC want uh, a person of color to direct a movie about a person of color, or a woman to direct a movie about a female superhero. But but why, why limit should it they limit yep. them? You know. Why shouldn't Eva DuVernay, who uh, uh, who directed Selma, in case people yes. don't really know who, who she is, and she's on Twitter as at Ava, etc., and she's very good on Twitter as well. She Why shouldn't she have the skill set to do those movies as well? Exactly. But yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's, it's, it's interesting. I I think she, her, the level of performance she got out of um, everyone in Selma was astonishing. I thought the, the movie itself, as I said, was a, a little bit TV movie of the week, but um, yeah, I don't... I'd be interested to see I what thought, she could do. Yeah, I thought it was pretty well put together. Um, I, I'm, you know, I also think that the big difference, right, between men and women in Hollywood uh, in terms of directing tends to be even if you have a big hit as a female director, it doesn't necessarily get you your next film. So Patty Jenkins, for example, Monster was, what, 2003? That was Oscar-nominated all over the place. You would expect her to be offered something Hasn't as made a, a movie since. Hasn't made a movie since. Mm. And it's that it's that huge gap. It, it does not... A success does not automatically get you your next movie if you're a female director. Yeah. And therefore, I think it's great to see that, you know, this is at least getting her in talks for these big movies. But again, I just don't want it limited to Black Panther and, and Captain Marvel, which will both be hopefully brilliant movies. But we should be talking about her for Thor, Ragnarok, etc. as well. So, yeah, but fingers crossed that this will be uh, a next step for her mm-hmm. and uh, and also that it will get those some of those films moving at Marvel. There is not a completed, I believe, Thor script yet. Um, I'm sure these other two are still in the in the fairly early stages, so there's a lot to play for right now. Did you get that Thor information firsthand from anyone this week? Helen? No. No? Okay. No. Just, just checking. Heard it on the grapevine. Okay. Okay. Just a quick, a quick bit of adaptation news. There's a book that I really love called uh, HHHH about the assassination of Reinhardt. Four stars. Right, it's four stars in yeah in Wingding, <laughs> uh, Wing Bats. It's uh, about the assassination of Reinhard Heydrich, the one of the architects of the Final Solution in Prague, um, in the early part of the Second World War by partisans that are parachuted in by British Special Operations Executive. And um, it's being it's the books by a guy called Laurent Binet. It's got a very interesting kind of structure in that it's about a man who goes and tries to kind of rediscover this story from a, a present day perspective, mm-hmm. a little bit like the framing device, I guess, for um, the uh, the Kate Winslet, um, the reader, that yes, kind of thing. Yes. Um, but it's a really kind of interesting meta narrative, and I, I'm not sure quite how they're going to make it in terms of translating that to the screen. But it does have a great cast in place already. 
Um, it's got uh, Jack Rayner, who we'll be talking about shortly from A Royal Night Out and Transformers. Mm -hmm. It's got um, Rosamund Pike. Yep. Um, and it's got Jack... O'Connell. Kerouac. Kerouac <laughs> is no. not in this film. Jack Black. Jack... Neither. Jack Rayner. No, we said that. Damn it. I'm running out of Jack's. Jack Davenport. Oh. Davenport. <laughs> He's not in it either. Okay. <laughs> Jack O'Connell. Jack O'Connell. That's Yeah, him. so, so they play the, he and Rayner play the two part sounds, which looks like good casting to me. It's a jack um, off. It's a good book. Check it out if you can. H H H H. One of the H's is lowercase, just to just okay. to keep subs busy. Um, and I'm quite excited about that because I think if they go and shoot that in Prague, it's a really amazing story. Um, wartime Dare and Do, so keep your eyes peeled. I'm excited. Yeah, I think you should be. Read the book too. Like now, I've got to read do, it. I've, I've got to read do the, the book. Read it. I've got to do, read it. Or we could just do news first. Okay, well, we've, we've done news. Reviews. Finish. Should news. we do reviews? Have we done nonsense? Uh, yes, I think we have. I think it's up to the, the listener to decide that. But uh, yes, I think we have. Should we have um, a guest? Sure. Let's do that, and then we'll do the reviews. Okay. Time now for a second guest. It's a real week for North American actresses putting on British accents. Uh, Sarah Gayton has been brilliant in the likes of A Dangerous Method and Cosmopolis for David Cronenberg. Uh, she was great in Belle as well. And this week, the Canadian uh, star plays a young Princess Elizabeth, later to become Queen Elizabeth, a.k.a. the Queen, uh, in a royal night out, which thankfully isn't her Madge Coulon origins, uh, but it is an account of the time when she sneaked out of Buck Pal. Uh, to mingle with commoners around the end of World War II. Fee Day, Fee I believe. Day, yes. Phil spoke to Sarah Gaden because of reasons. Sarah Gaden, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Oh, thank you. You've flown all the way from Canada specifically to be here today. I flew I know, here to be on really the radio. I know you've this. never heard of that before. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. And you're just doing your radio voice, which is yeah. very impressive. So, doing my radio voice, it sounds a little something like this. Hi, welcome. And you can do your own songs, including yeah. the Everything is Awesome so, I revealed is, that I'm a Lego fan earlier today, and yeah. now it will haunt me for the rest well, of my life. You may do, actually. That's I gonna be, shamefully can't I be know. putting together Lego in my house. Public it, it, fact now. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> well, we all love Lego, so it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a massive breach of privacy. Although, in future, you may choose projects specifically to get yourself Closer a to Lego. Closer to Lego Or get yourself a Lego figure. Oh, yeah. For instance, I mean, obviously, you starred with, with Luke Evans in, in Dracula Untold. He's got lego i believe he has a lego man he's been i think he must be because he was he's lego he must be lego is he was in i was i'm gonna call him and inquire about his lego figure and then buy it immediately as soon as i get home <laughs> <laughs> really i have you in lego <laughs> oh hey luke we were just hanging out earlier today in lego me and tiny you <laughs> um we're here obviously not to talk about dracula and Charles specifically we're here to talk about a royal night out in which you play i mean this is an era of princesses I mean, on, if on anyone the should be immortal in Lego form, it should be. It's the, the bloody queen, queen, right? Yes, <laughs> but every time, every time you make her in Lego, you'd have to stand up with yeah, you and salute. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of princesses out there, Cinderella, obviously, but you are playing an actual real princess. Mm -hmm. So in your face, fairy tale princesses. <laughs> um, well, it's interesting because I was reading. Uh, I was doing a lot of reading when I was preparing for the project, and one of the books I read was Sally Smith's Elizabeth the Queen. And in, in the chapter where she discusses the night that Elizabeth and Margaret went out on VE night to celebrate with the people, she she calls the, the, the night for them and the nights after that a Cinderella story in reverse. And I really, I really, I, I kept that kind of statement in the back of my mind because I felt it kind of summarized what our film and the spirit of our film is about. Yeah. 
It wasn't about becoming somebody, you know, becoming this kind of somebody else. It was really kind of unmasking and Mm. breaking the facade and stepping beyond the icon and being human. It's funny. So if you have been to see Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella, which a lot of people have, you can then see the whole thing the other way around (laughs) in your movie. And there are strange kind of parallels, aren't they? Because Are there? I was was just going to say, they're very different films, though. Very different films. Obviously, we want to stress that. But there's a parallel Mm -hmm. in the sense that your shoe breaks at one point Oh my gosh, I never even thought of that. There you go. So you you, you spend half the movie acting. Is this your job? Do you do this for a living? No, I'm just I'm just coming off the street, to be honest, talk about Lego with you. Um, the, the, the heel breaks on your shoe. So you spend mm-hmm. quite a lot of the movie hobbling through 1945 London mm-hmm. on, one, on one heel. That's mm-hmm. as far as we'll go with the Cinderella thing. But, right, but, except uh, rather than her finding the shoe or the shoe finding her, it's the shoe really finds Jack. Yes. And Jack really fixes the shoe for her, so. So Jack is Jack is Jack Rayner, who's yes. a, who's an airman who's kind of gone AWOL, mm-hmm. like Claude Van Damme, John Claude Van Damme. <laughs> and and the two there's a romance in there and and this is based part based partly on a true story, but I'm assuming that it's gone a little bit beyond what we know about what happened that night. Absolutely. <laughs> we, I mean, we do know that Elizabeth and Margaret went out on VE night and they went to the Ritz and they celebrated with the people and they went to the palace gates and saw their mother and father, out on the balcony. And they even went out and celebrated with the people in the nights following VE night. Um, however, we've created a, a very fictional kind of story about the events that ha- that happened on that evening. Elizabeth never met Jack and, uh, and never had that romance. Um, but I think the story is so charming because I think all of the emotions are real. And I really feel like Elizabeth entered the war as a child, but then left left the war in the post-war era a woman. Mm. And I really think you go on that journey with her over the course of the evening, over the course of the film. Yes. And there's this kind of constant motif of the fact that she did serve the queen. Oh, queen. She's still the queen, it feels like. <laughs> in the sequel, she becomes the queen, but she's the princess here, but she served in the, in the military. And there's this idea that the royal family had or hadn't pulled their weight and mm-hmm. how the people feel about her, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But another thing that's kind of fascinating is that she and her sister, Princess Margaret, who I need to name check Belle Powley because she's yeah. really fabulous. I mean, you're both she... great in this film. Um, she's a lot of fun. And uh, no one knows what you look like, mm-hmm. which seems so strange to our kind of like Instagram Twittery culture that you can be fame that famous and no and still go out incognito. Absolutely, it's a it's it's totally different than everything that we're used to now. I went to the Royal um, Hospital Royal Hospital in Chelsea and I spoke with a war vet named Dorothy this morning. Yes, and she was saying to me that at that time nobody really knew that much about the royals there was one official photographer for the family and they would take all the photos and release them to the press and so their image and their everything about them was very protected Mm. in a way that isn't necessarily how it is today Uh, so it would have been relatively easy for them to go incognito um, on that night can you go incognito yeah, I can. <laughs> I don't really look anything like how I do in the movie. No, do that's I? true. No, no, but even in other movies, <laughs> no, where you look and like I know you. I can. I can go incognito because when we were filming, I wear I wear a wig in the film, mm. and I have short blonde hair. And I would come to set. I think I came to set midway through the film for a Lindy Hop rehearsal mm. with our cast and crew, and our crew members were 
baffled. They had no idea who I was or what I was doing. I really pulled the wool pulled the wool over their eyes. Um, so I, I definitely think I, I can go around incognito a lot. That's pretty cool, mm-hmm. as an actress, that you know to think that you can disappear on your own film set. Yes, I know, right? Know. It's quite the feat. Yeah, and it's. I was going to say you you had a sort of exposure to Robert Pattinson's. You've worked with Robert, uh, uh, Pats, you've worked with Robert Pattinson mm-hmm. a couple of times, and and seen the 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 white heat of that celebrity. And and I understand that you you get followed by. Do you still get followed on Twitter by a lot of sort of R Pats hardcore? from those days? Well, I see. you see, I'm really lucky because I've worked with a number of very wonderful leading men. Robert, I've worked with um, Jake Gyllenhaal, just worked with Jamie Dornan, mm. Aaron Paul. And so I feel like I get to really receive all of their social media <laughs> fans. And, uh, and I'm always so uh, flattered and warmed by the, um, by the love that I get from them, um, which, is really, which is really nice for me. Yeah, that's so great. I enjoyed the fact that you tweeted um, the uh, cupcake from the junket. Yeah, wasn't from, that cool? From a royal night out, you had it's a royal night out cupcake. Once you get past the fact you eat basically eating your own face, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> weird. Um, that's pretty awesome. I'm hoping you didn't have cupcakes on any of the Cronenberg movies you worked on, <laughs> or Antiviral by his son. Because they I can would be red velvet would... cupcakes for sure. Yes, um. Um, <laughs> with a lot of weird intestinal stuff going on. I mean, those you haven't the the three Cronenberg films: A Dangerous Method and Cosmopolis, obviously, and Maps to the Stars, which I really loved as well. They're not the kind of body horror Cronenberg, Mm-mm. but he's, like you, he's from Toronto, obviously. Do you remember your first meeting with him? My first meeting with David wasn't even in Toronto. I auditioned for the film with his casting director, made a, a self-tape, and it was sent off to him. And then he cast me in the film, and I flew to Germany. I went to our camera test um, on our first day of pre-production, uh, they put me through hair and makeup and costume, and I went on set and met him in full hair and makeup and costume as Emma Young. Really? That yeah. was the first time you met him? It's the first time I met him. It was terrifying. Was it terrifying? Yeah, because I was so nervous. I felt like a fish out of water. I mean, here I am in this film playing opposite Keira Knightley and Michael Fassbender and Viggo Mortensen, and yeah. and I was I was convinced David would be like, oh, no, that that was a different tape I was looking at. I wanted tape B, not tape A. And so, I, you know, it was really nerve-wracking. This film demands some light Lindy hopping mm-hmm. from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the dance that you see a lot of in the Great Gatsby era and this, the, the 20s especially, but they're still doing it in the 40s. Mm-hmm. And uh, on your IMDb page, you are... <clears throat> Famous on your IMDb page for your ballet and hip hop dancing. <laughs> I don't know who wrote that. I cannot take any credit for for things that but are written true. about me on the internet. Uh, well, but I do uh, have a I do have a strong dance um, background. I trained as a ballet dancer. I took contemporary and jazz and tap, and mm. so I've done a lot of dance. Um, hip hop. I have done hip hop. Yeah, hip hop oh, dancing. Really? <laughs> well, who's your favorite hip hop? But not since I was. 16, so... Oh, well, it's going to live with you forever. Forever. When you're in your 70s, people yeah. will still be asking you about it. <laughs> Do some crunking for us, please, <laughs> Um So the Lindy Hop thing was probably pretty straightforward for you, I'd imagine. Did you have to pretend to be bad at it? You know what? The Lindy Hop is actually a very hard dance. It's a very high-energy dance to learn. And the, the, the interesting thing about dancing with a partner is is the woman doesn't lead. So the onus is not really on whether or not I'm a good dancer because I'm just kind of being tossed about. It's 
really whether or not Jack Rayner is oh. a good dancer. <laughs> and, uh, and at first, Jack Rayner, not so great of a dancer. <laughs> um, but the uh, the level of commitment and work ethic that he has is incredible. And he just threw himself into the Lindy Hop. And he's, you know, he's... He's a big, macho Irish guy, and I don't think just any, you know, actor would have been able to take that on, and he really just kind of went for it, and I think at that moment, at the very beginning of rehearsals, I was like, okay, Jack is my man. Jack is going to be amazing because he will just, he has the the courage to try anything. Right. So I, I really, I really feel so lucky that I got to work opposite with him and with Belle because the three of us, you know, we shot this film four, four and a half weeks of nights of night shoots. So we were basically living this bizarre lifestyle. We would wake up at two o'clock in the afternoon and myself, Belle, Jack and Jack's fiance, Madeline would go and box together. We would boxing train together like a little family. And then we would go to set and shoot all night and then go to bed at six o'clock in the morning. And we were on this routine and we really were like this kind of merry band of, of artists working on this film and having a blast together and I don't I really truly know that I wouldn't have been able to have made it through the schedule if I didn't have them as incredible supporting mm. actors and and just supportive people and incredible people so I I, I'm so blessed that I got to work with them. That does sound fun stroke exhausting. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you're having fun. On the, the, you can kind of sense it. Yeah, I mean, we you really are acting, were. but you can we sense really that it's and, fun. And Belle just cracked me up all mm. the time on set. We would just, we would just laugh and laugh and laugh because yeah. she's so funny. She does seem, she's, yeah. Going, sorry, going back to the Jack dancing thing. Mm. Was there a moment when you were saying you were a very bad liar? Was there a moment when you were like, he's going to take me down? He he was in Transformers. Oh, yeah, for sure. He, he was in Transformers. <laughs> he dances like a Transformer. Yeah. This is going back. I know he can drive a car. He can't dance. <laughs> this is a problem. No. Did you like, oh, I've got faith in you, Jack? I was, wor- I was worried in the first, in the first, you know, rehearsal. But then after that, I knew he was, he was just so game for it. Yeah. He was so, he didn't care that he was, you know, Lindy hopping. Um, but what's really funny about the Lindy hop is that um, our, our, our choreographer, told me she's like you know you can go to open lindy hop social dancing at pubs all over london and i went to i went to like three or four pub nights where people were lindy hopping and it was so it was so much fun and i love that people do that here and it wasn't you know it was young people social dancing and I think it was, you know, like 10 pounds and you go and you get a lesson wow. for two hours and then you get an hour of free dance afterwards. And it was so much fun and so cool that that... I did not know that. Which which sort specific I areas of town? I went, to one, I went to maybe two in Peckham and then one maybe in just central London. Yeah. Wow. The Jazz Age is being recreated in Peckham. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it looks exhausting. Um, I've got to let you go shortly. It's been a lot of fun. Um, we talked about the IMDb page. I've got one quick question. It's a contractual question, which is a bit dull. You were in Spider-Man 2, uh-huh. obviously. Are, the Spider-Man franchise has gone off in a different direction. Are, do, are you contractually... Inv- would you be potentially back for s- whatever comes next? No, I don't think so. I mean, I know they scanned my face, so... I hope she doesn't even own it anymore. <laughs> I don't know if I, if I totally have, you know, all of my image rights, but I don't think so. Okay. I, I don't think so. We need to get a lawyer. This <laughs> sounds complicated. Somebody um, has scanned my face. <laughs> someone out there has scanned my face. We need to find them. There's a movie in that. Um, last question. We t- the, 
just to populate the IMDb with something that isn't about your hip-hop dancing, um, what is, two questions, what is your favourite David Cronenberg movie that you're not actually in? Mm -hmm. And what is your guilty pleasure movie? My favourite Cronenberg film, it's a, it's a really, that's a tough question because I love so many of his movies, but I think I would have to say Dead Ringers. I think that Jeremy Irons' performance in that movie is completely inspired in an age of filmmaking where you know he had to play opposite himself mm. and so i just think his performance in that film is really cool i think toronto showcased in a very bizarre way um and i'll tell you that the last time i went to the gynecologist <laughs> my nurse was like oh, I just wanted to tell you that I'm a really big fan of yours and I love all the work you do with David Cronenberg and I couldn't believe that she said that. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be like Dead Ringers. <laughs> so so anyway, so definitely Dead Ringers. <laughs> and my guilty pleasure is um, reality television and chocolate. Okay. Movie, movie, movie though. Movie uh, guilty pleasure. Movie guilty yes. pleasure. Oh, okay. Um, Every summer, I don't know if it's so much a guilty pleasure, but every summer I always have to watch Amer An American in Paris. I love musicals, and um, I love that musical particularly, and, and I watch it at the beginning of every summer. Good answer. I don't know how guilty that Gene Kelly movie would Depends be. on which film buff you ask. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> anyway, Sarah, again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, on the Empire Podcast. It's been a real pleasure. <laughs> what, what a pleasure. That was Sarah Gaydon, Phil Cat. Yeah, how was she? All good. Very nice. She was lovely, indeed. Excellent. On that, on that bombshell, let's move on to hard-hitting <laughs> uh, journalism, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> she was. She was so nice. Uh, you got your picture taken with you with her, didn't did you? Did I? Yeah. Oh yeah, I yeah. did. I don't know. But we, more importantly, we had a portrait mm -hmm. taken by um, Marco, our very fine photographer, and that is available to check out in our podcast gallery. Wow. I don't know if people are aware of this. Yeah, uh, there's some good shots there. A lot of people, people who come into the pod booth uh, on the podcast are shot by Marco, our great photographer, and there's a gallery, empireonline.com forward slash podcast forward slash gallery. We'll take you to that. Lots of big, big names in there looking lovely. Uh, right, let's talk about this week's movie reviews. Let's not start with the Royal Night Out. Uh, let's start with the big one, which is Mad Max Fury Road. George Miller's return to the dystopian future that he created in Mad Max, Mad Max 2, or The Rogue Warrior, if you're listening in the States, and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. We don't need another hero! Except um, apparently we did. We did, 30 years on. Uh, a film he tried to make back in 2001 with Mel Gibson as Max Rokotansky. He's now made with Tom Hardy as Max Rokotansky, uh, teaming up with Charlize Theron to... Uh, to go on the run across the post-apocalyptic wasteland and that's pretty much it <laughs> in terms of plot but this yeah. is this is something special isn't it this movie it is it's it's maybe one of the most astonishing no maybe the most anyway one of the most astonishing action movies i have ever seen the car chases and essentially well are they cars monster truck chases uh, in this film are like nothing you've ever seen um they're entirely off-road. They're basically across the, the desert, mostly shot in Namibia. Um, and uh, they are brutal. They are astonishing. And uh, and they're they're so demented. They're absolutely crazy. I mean, this is this film puts the mad in Mad Max. And, and then some, it really does. To the max. To the max. It then takes yes. it to the max with the madness. You nailed it. Uh, max mad, you might call it. Um, 
it's honestly it's it's absolutely astonishing astonishing stuff incredible characters incredible design incredible world building um I'm not really talking about the plot because there really kind of isn't one. It's basically people try to escape a bad person, bad person chases them. Mm-hmm. Repeat for two hours. Repeat for two hours, yeah. Um, add in a couple of sandstorms, add in a heck of a lot of explosions. I mean, this bad person um, is the kind of guy, Immortan Joe, he's called, mm-hmm. um, played by the toe cutter for the, from the first movie. Hugh Keysburn. Indeed. Um, who, who looks very cuddly and a little bit like Santa Claus in real life, I would like to say. Um, he doesn't on screen. He looks freaking terrifying. Um, and he is the kind of guy who, when he sets out to, to hunt you down, brings along his own heavy metal band. He brings along an entire truck just devoted to amps, drums, and a guy with a fire-breathing guitar. A flame-throwing guitar. Yeah. I mean... Is is not something a Fender are making at the moment. I'm, well, they are they are missing a trick because it's it's wildly successful here. He's like a post-apocalyptic slash, isn't he, from Guns N' Roses? He kind of is, or, yeah. Or, with a sort of Skeletor mask thing going on. Um, uh, I mean, everybody in this film, or most people in this film, are, are mutated by the radiation in the air. The, the earth is poisoned against them. Um... And they're poisoning what's left of it with these incredible gas guzzling vehicles and these endless explosions. Yeah. I mean, also, like, the fire in this film is a different colour than you usually see. It's it's literally blood red. It is... It's barmy. It's madness. It's mm. it's brilliant. I didn't expect to love it. I really didn't. And I do. Yeah. It's I great. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. blew me away, this movie. It's mm. one of those ones where you sort of start in one row and you finish the movie four rows back. Because <laughs> it's just blown you across the auditorium. <laughs> If you see it in IMAX, it will explode your eyeballs. Um, it's just yeah. an astonishing blitzkrieg of visuals and action sequences. You know, it makes you tired thinking of just what went into making this film. It's mm. just so much labour up there on the screen, and it's just astonishingly demented. And it's a brilliant reminder of just what cinema can do. Yeah. There's been a lot of chat lately about TV versus cinema. It's a golden age for TV, and it is a golden age for TV. And no disrespect to TV, but you don't, you can't do this with TV. No. This is cinema at, at 150 million miles per hour, and absolutely loved it. There isn't an, it isn't really narratively driven. No, yeah. and, and, and to be honest, like beyond the amazing character names, and everybody in this film has an amazing character name, Warboy Nux, Imperator Furiosa, Max Rokotansky himself, you know, Immortan Joe, Splendid, uh, or she's sometimes called uh, the Splendid Unharried. Richter Fragile, ca- yeah, capable Richter Director. I mean, these are incredible, incredible character names, which is just as well because none of them get any character development beyond the name. I mean, some of them grab some character development out of nothing. They have nothing to work with, and they nevertheless bring a little bit of character up. I think I think uh, Nicholas Holt does a really good job with that. I think Charlize Theron does a stunning job with that. Yes, but there's nothing really there that yeah. they're saying to work with. There's nothing there. In terms of dialogue, it's just they're just that good. It is also it's worth pointing out, and I think uh, Ian Nathan, our reviewer, did um, that. It's kind of a western as well, isn't it? There's classic mm. western, yeah. western bits. There's the bit in the past, the gorge, the explode. You know, the bit where they have to, f- to create this kind of weird rock fall, fall kind of barrier behind them to stop, and you're always, you're always just, just over the horizon in a cloud dust stagecoach, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Stage, yeah, it is stagecoach because it's this a sort of fast 70 dysfunctional family unit forms mm. very subtly with no one using the word family at any point and with very little dialogue but you do kind mm. of get this sense of a dynamic forming so it isn't just action there's more going on but it's just one of those films that you come out of I just want to see it again straight away yeah. you rarely feel that so powerfully as I felt with this one um, I, it's going to 
be 800 viewings before you can really digest everything that's happening on the screen. Yeah. I, I yeah, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I've I've riffed on this before already on Twitter, so apologies if you have heard this already. But yeah, when Finn Diesel came out and he said after Fast Seven came out, he said, you know, if the Academy I'm paraphrasing wildly here, but if the Academy have any sense at all, you know, this movie will win Best Picture. Furious Seven will win, will win Best Picture. And if it doesn't win Best Picture then it means the Academy are out of touch. Well, you know, there's as a car chase movie, as a piece of filmmaking uh, Fury Road knocks Fast and Furious 7 into a, a cocked hat. It, this is the film that should be offered Best Picture. This is an extraordinary achievement. Um, mm. it, it is mind-boggling. And yes, there's a little bit of CG augmentation. That sandstorm didn't happen <laughs> when they were on set, for example. But the, the level of complexity of the choreography, of the staging, of the stunts, of and I do think there are character arcs in this uh, that are are expertly traced through action over two hours is is mind-boggling and the the trailers for this because i was i I think as skeptical about this movie as everybody george miller's track record since mad max beyond thunderdome is interesting and it's he's gone off road in many ways (laughs) i mean this is a guy who's made in the last 30 years not a lot of movies and what movies they, they are are quite gentle and quite kiddie friendly and brilliant a lot of them uh, I loathe the Happy Feet films but that's maybe just me no but it's me Babe and you the penguin thing uh, penguin Babe Babe Pig in the City Lorenzo's Oil both Happy Feet movies these are movies uh, which is a Eastwick these are movies that Georgie uh, Miller has made since uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome I didn't think that a 70 year old former doctor would have a movie this batshit insane inside him and he absolutely does and we, we, when we saw the first trailers I thought to myself hang on this could be this looks like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah. There are shots in this that I just still and may never know how they got. The blending of practical stunts and there has to be CG because their their yeah. main characters like Charlie Theron, Tom Hardy, you maybe put them in a car, but you don't put them that close to explosions and to debris possibly flying past and taking their heads off and uh, whatnot. Um, it's just extraordinary. And, uh, you know, I'm saying it right now. There may be more critically acclaimed films coming out this year although given the the wave of love that this film is getting that actually might not happen but George Miller for the achievement of the, for what he's done in this movie should be up for best director next year uh, this film is astonishing I'd agree with that 100% it, it is in terms of action films I still think you know is it the best action movie ever made which a lot of people are saying no but it's certainly one of them mm. and it's it's just incredible and I cannot wait to see it again I'm desperately trying to get my wife to see it and I think this is where the film may have a problem because this is a film and Helen I don't know if you want to talk mm. about this as well but this is a film with with you know that, that phrase is often bandied around strong female characters but this is a film filled with them and filled with you know and but I think the movie's going to have a real problem communicating that to audiences my wife just does not want to see this film it, she's turned off by the imagery and um, I, I hope that it gets past that and I hope it gets bumps and seats because it, it, it deserves it I mean it is massively grotesque it's not you know the, the characters and you know a lot of them are meant to be irradiated mutants yeah. and they are just grotesque they're, they're awful looking I mean yeah. Hieronymus, Hieronymus Bosch has been referenced in virtually every uh, review of this and rightly so because these are his kind of hellscape creatures yeah. there's a character called the people eater who yeah. has a massively mutated foot which is just one of the most oh, God, disgusting things so horrible. <laughs> and, and he's, he's, he's kind of got a, a, a his, his nose has kind of suffered from like leprosy or something and is gone and he wears a sort of nose cover mm. weird yeah horrible horrible stuff happens I mean in terms of the, I, ha- I had 
some questions. I'm going to have to sort of say it again and think about the the women in this. I mean, obviously, uh, Imperator Furiosa, who is really, if I'm honest, I think the true lead of the film, um, yes. yeah. is is astonishing. Um, and Charlize Theron is is brilliant. Um, it's it is one of these films which you know supposes women as as chattel in a in a post apocalyptic society, which as a starting point, and they do move on from that, but as a starting point, I'm uncomfortable with and I, I am tired of. That said, you know, they do move on, so maybe I should give it uh, credit for, for that kind of strong female character. But it, it's a, it's an uncomfortable starting point for me and I was really unhappy about that until about halfway through the movie when other things happened that made me a little bit more comfortable with it. Yeah, but for, for Charlize Theron alone, I think I think everybody should go see her. She's There's a lot incredible. of good stuff. I mean, I think Rosie Huntington Whiteley is, yes. is good in this movie. She's amazing. I, you knew she had it in her. Absolutely. Uh, I, she wasn't that good in Transformers. I wrote a line about her, which I'm forever haunted by. It was a line I'm not proud of anymore in the Transformers review, but but suffice to say that you know she has rammed my words down my throat in this. She's very very good in it, as are all the five wives who are being transported across the wasteland of a country that is never named, although it seems fairly clear it's Australia, as mm. you know would have been the original films. But by uh, Imperator Furiosa, that's the plot. That's as good as you, as close as you ever come to a plot. There are five women who are trying to get away from Imotranjo, and also there's a group of ladies who show up later in the film, not to give too much away, but one of them is Megan Gale, who would have been George Miller's Wonder Woman. Uh, had his Justice League of America movie uh, happened, um, came very close, and she's great. And I kind of think, yeah, I'd like to see more more of her. I know Megan Gale from when I lived in Australia. She was the face of David Jones, which is sort of Australia's Selfridges as a model. <laughs> she's, I mean, she's known as a model. I didn't even know she's she Miss acted. Selfridge. She is effectively Miss Selfridge, <laughs> but um, yeah, I didn't know she 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 was an actress. Yeah, uh, she's good too. They're all good. They're all good. They're, They're all, all good. good. Shall we talk about Tom Hardy? What do we? Because there's one of the things. It's like it's, we talked about this in the podcast a few weeks ago. I think it might have been the spoiler podcast uh, for Avengers, where that idea that once I knew that Robert Downey Jr. was in talks to play Doc in Inherent Vice, I cannot unsee that version of the movie, which for me is a much better version of the movie than the one we, that actually was made by Back in Phoenix. And knowing that this movie, that the exact same movie, the exact same storyboards was going to be made in 2001 with, with Mel Gibson as Max. It's hard for me to get past that. That's on me. I know. I completely get that. But where do you think Tom Hardy stands in relation to Mel Gibson, who obviously has his baggage, we all know that, in this in this role? I think he does a good job. Mm. I think he does a good job. Some of his accent works a little international pick, uh, pick a with it. yeah but and and sometimes with with Tom Hardy who is an actor I rate so highly mm. that he can can feel a bit actorly there's moments of thespianism there's mm. moments where it feels a tiny tiny bit self-conscious there's a moment after he says a line he goes mm. Mm. there's a bit of those <laughs> slight affect mannerisms that are interesting to watch but you're a bit like, why did you do that? What's that about? How does that relate to the character? But then the character does so little dialogue to work with. Mm. Just grunts and, you know, yeses and noes. 20 lines, apparently. 20 lines. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like Arnie and it's about the same as Arnie got in Terminator. It's so. more, than, uh, more than Gibson in Mad Max 2. Mm. Just about. <laughs> but I think he's a superior actor to Mel Gibson, I have to say. But is he as much of a, an icon as Mel uh-huh. Gibson? That's that's interesting. You're not the first person I've seen say that this week. Guy Lodge, uh, who's the, the great film critic, he writes for Variety, uh, he said that Tom Hardy, for me, is a far superior actor to Mel Gibson, and that's one of the things that elevates Fury Road. And I kind of get that, but I think that, you know, obviously Mel Gibson's had, you know, he's 
had his baggage over the few years. He's he's made horrendous, done said horrendous things over the last few years. But I think that looking at him as Max as an elemental force, yeah. I kind of prefer him in the role, which is not to denigrate Tom Hardy. I think he does a very, very good job, but it's hard for me to get past what Mel Gibson would have been in this role. He does have insane amounts of charisma, uh, Mel Gibson. I think he's perhaps, for me, more charismatic yeah. than Tom Hardy. I know a lot of and people disagree. I, re- I read one review this week which said that um, even Charlize Theron isn't as pretty as, as Mel Gibson was in the first Mad Max. Yeah, or the second, <laughs> or, or the, the second. second, or indeed the third. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. But well, well, I think one point to make in case people are going, oh, Mad Max, I don't really know, because it's a 30, 40 year old franchise. Yeah. You do not need to no. see any of the previous films, which were barely uh, connected at all. To know, to know this one. And I'll tell you something else. I don't really like the previous films. You don't like the previous I've films. I've sat down on a number of occasions and tried really hard to like them. And I've failed. And this one I loved. So make of that what you will. Five stars, as you might not be surprised to know, for Mad Max Fury Road. And uh, that brings us on to uh, a companion piece. This is a hell of a double bill if you want to watch this, uh, which is Pitch Perfect 2, <laughs> uh, in which Anna Kendrick, Rebel Wilson and the gang return as the Barton Bellas acapelling their way through uh, their biggest challenge yet, Ultron. No, um, wait, no, wait, it's, no. It's another singing competition. But, That's uh, right. This time they're disgraced. They're... <laughs> They're disgraced after Rebel Wilson's character Fat Amy has a wardrobe malfunction right at the beginning of the film, and uh, they when have they're to, performing for the when, president, yes, it's who's, called who's really there. Yes, it's, it's known as Muffgate. It is known as <laughs> I've forgotten that. It's known as Muffgate, and then oh my god, how did the Barton Bellas bounce back from this? <gasps> There's only one way they can do it, Chris. They're going to have to win the World Championships of Acapella. That's the only way it's going to happen. I mean, the odds are stacked against them because, as our, our acapella commentators uh, note at the beginning of this film, everyone hates the Americans. Everyone <laughs> hates them. They're yeah. never going to win. So this is the follow-up to the, uh, I think it's not fair to call it a cult hit. I mean, there are acca-alongs at the Prince Charles and they are sold out pretty <laughs> much every time they do them, uh, which is which is a good sign to me. It's By the way, you, if you get a chance to go to an acca-along, you should. There are... They have a mirror ball. They have disco lights at the end. They have confetti cannons. It's a heck of a lot of fun. Um, Aka heck. Aka heck of a lot of Aka Aka fun. fun. I want to meet the guy that has to do the hoovering at the Prince Charles Cinema. (laughs) He's so much. (laughs) His work cut out. But anyway, so this, uh, yeah, this basically has them. This is actually three years later. So this is them facing graduation, facing that sort of change of life, facing being split up. and, And their legacy at this point might be that they were the ones who killed the Bellas who have, you know, endured for generations of women at this college. So they're trying to kind of desperately claw something back, while also Anna Kendrick's character, Becca, is trying to look ahead to the future and, and get her start with a an internship at a music production place. Um, it doesn't really matter, any of that. The point is, this is still really, really funny, um, I thought, and... Uh, mm. Uh, very much like the humour of the first one. I think they did a really good job. The script is by Kay Cannon, who of course did lots of 30 Rock writing and is very, very smart and very, very funny. And then Elizabeth Banks, who produced and appears in the first one, and again here, um, also steps up as director this time. And I think she does a pretty good job. She's got extraordinarily good comic timing. And I think that really comes across because she knows when to cut the scene, when to let it play, which bits of improv to include and which bits to just jettison as complete nonsense mm. so uh, it's it's pretty good I mean there are there are criticisms you could make I don't think I don't think that the music is always as as catchy as one would perhaps want it to be that's partly because of the plot because the idea is that the Bellas have kind of lost their way and they're trying these crazy things that are really maybe not appropriate but uh, but at the same time it's it's a heck of a lot of fun and if you enjoy the first one 
you will very very much enjoy this i think it's um it's that rare case of a comedy sequel that is worthy to be mentioned in the same breath as the first people that love the first film are going to really love this film i think which is which is a sort of praise and criticism I suppose in the sense that it does exactly what you'd want it to do but it doesn't do an awful lot more it doesn't really it's it's one of those sequels that's kind of it's like 20 to 22 Jump Street but stripped of the meta it's like this thing that we saw in the first film we're going to do it again that character you loved here he is there he is doing you know like, what's he called um, there's a little bit of ba- the Boomer bumper, uh, bum- bumper 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 I liked in the first film he doesn't get quite as much fun stuff in this one but it's a bit like Bumper and then you're supposed to stop and applaud I think there's some oh, funny stuff I think that's fair I, there's some st- <laughs> but it is like that and I mean I like Bumper he was funny but I'm not you know he's not like Mad Max he's not, yeah. he's not a cop <laughs> hero um, the opening's really strong and very funny and then I thought there was a bit of a lull and then there's other moments that, are, that really made me laugh a lot. Yeah. Look, I'm not a hardcore pitch pitch perfectionist, so You're I'm probably not. Fan. But I, I but I say I really enjoyed the first movie. I just I, this movie I didn't love as much. I would say a couple of things that there's this really annoying Hollywood comedy shtick of just people doing stupid stuff, and that's and you trying to find that funny, which for me is a starting point for a joke, but isn't a joke in itself. So when David Cross, this this weird eccentric billionaire who holds these underground acapella offs, turns up and his thing is he kind of doesn't he just like scoot around his house and he's a bit zany, but it's not really a joke. It's just he's a, doing a weird thing. Yeah. Um, and there's so much of that in these sorts of the Vince Vaughn movies are full of them. This kind of out there weirdness that's, that's supposed of, to be a joke and it just bothers me come in for three days do some weird do stuff some weird and we'll laugh at how weird you are and also some of the jokes about the the racial uh, stuff I was a little uncomfortable about the Mexican and the she's it. actually not Mexican she's Guatemalan Guatemalan but they're calling her Mexican <laughs> because they can't you know differentiate and that's the joke and then it marginalises but that's a joke where they are the object of the laugh not her yeah don't know about that I'm not sure it's difficult. I mean, I, I thought some of it was a bit on the nose, you know. Yeah, the lesbian woman who's like always just doing lesbian stuff all the time. You're like, there's got to be a bit more. To these, these aren't characters. these aren't characters. They're just they're characteristics that are just walking around. And yeah, yeah, I've got a problem with that as well. But I think yeah, the film does try and have his cake and eat it in regards to that sort of humor. But I th- saw this with a packed audience at a preview last week and judging from the reaction in the room this is going to be the biggest film of all time <laughs> the first movie yeah I think it's more than a cult now first movie did what was 130 million in the in the states something like that and then it it's not even really, I think like 65 and it's really just moved on since then and become like a big thing so now to the point where in the states are expecting Pitch Perfect 2 to open bigger than Mad Max Fury Road and there's a lot of stuff I liked about this I really liked the performances I think Anna Kendrick is really fun her character is really sparky there is uh, you know Rebel Wilson is not everyone's cup of tea but for me she worked in this movie Fat Amy worked in this movie she has a nice romance if you will with Bumper which probably ha- gives the movie its big show-stopping moment and it the thing about it is I thought this movie is ragged as hell I thought every scene is is patchy and put together badly but in every single scene there's at least one great line like an absolute just there you go mic drop that's a great joke and now we're gone and I kind of felt the first movie was like that as well but I, I, but it's, it's impossible not to have fun in a film like this the songs are great it sweeps you up 
Uh, the songs are great. It's good fun. It's good fun to watch these people having a, a good time on screen. Anna Kendrick's fantastic. Mm. Rebel Wilson's great. All the other all the other uh, characters are, are good as well. Yeah, good stuff. It's World Domination Awaits. Uh, we gave four stars and uh, four Aka stars uh, for Pitch Perfect 2. And uh, let's talk then, let's, let's round this out with a roll that out. Yes. Set in a post-apocalyptic <laughs> <laughs> wilderness, Queen Elizabeth... At this point, Princess Elizabeth and her sister, Princess Margaret, played by Belle Rowley. Belle Powley. Belle Rowley Powley. <laughs> Rowley Powley. Let's just go with Powley, shall She's we? really good. Yeah, she's she, She's really lively and buzzy and, and zippy as Princess Margaret and, and Sarah Gaydon. I think we talk about, obviously, in the interview quite a lot, um, plays uh, the, the Queen of now but then princess it's VE Day as discussed they go out on the, on the Raz after basically twisting mum and dad's arm and they're like you've got to be home by midnight or the pumpkin will come for you that's not how the fairy tale goes and uh, and it's you know it's a sort of an escapade movie isn't it and it's very yeah. old fashioned and there's a bit of a TV feel to it I think it will play well on you know with with the at home crowd should we say on a Sunday afternoon but it's a really kind of it's a feel good film yeah. you interviews um, Emily Watson for the website in you and you said you know it's very much a an unashamed feel good movie and it's 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 very likable indeed mm. it's not in any way groundbreaking it doesn't have any sharp edges there's a little bit of a kind of a prince charming romance at the heart and it's just a little jaunt through London on the night of V Day and I think it captures that world pretty well actually yeah it does um, there's not a lot of tough stuff, but maybe you're not in the mood for tough stuff. And we gave it three stars. Fair. Yeah. I would say. Someone described it to me as best exotic marigold but- Buckingham Palace. Best, yeah. <laughs> Which isn't a million miles off. It's very gentle, very sweet, and your granny's going to love it. Yes. Um, which is not, I don't mean as a criticism, your granny may have great taste in films. She may also just, want to go and see Fury Road. She may also, and, and she would enjoy <laughs> that too. But this is, but this is, yeah, it, it, you're right. It doesn't have any sharp edges. It's just very sweet. And there's nothing even, you know... Uh, risque implied between um, between Jack Rayner's sort of GI or no not GI obviously Tommy his yes, his, Airman, his yeah. Airman, um and and Princess Elizabeth it's just sort of uh, a, maybe an opening of her world slightly and a meeting of somebody she doesn't get to to meet very often and and you know they when they initially meet he isn't really aware of who she is which gives her a chance to be kind of off guard which you can tell she kind of takes a little bit of pleasure in so it's it's a nice gentle story if you if you're into the sort of you know, nice portrayals of the royals. Frankly, if if you were one of the people who went nuts for the king's speech, then you're really you're going to enjoy this. It's not it's not on that level, but at the same time, it's it's very much in that same kind of world, I guess, and in that same kind of warm heartedness, I guess. There we go. Three Amen. stars. Three stars. Three stars for a royal night out. Also out this week is Clouds of Sils Maria, which is a French film which uh, has a distinction of being the first movie to win a César, which is the French version of the Oscars, for a an American actor, uh, Kristen Stewart, picked up a César uh, earlier, I think it was last year actually, uh, for that film. Um, it played a Cannes last year, Julie Binoche is the star, uh, and it we gave that four stars, so do check that one out if you can this week. Uh, also we have, there's a rockumentary if you will called Lambert and Stamp which we gave uh, four stars to as well Uh, so do try and seek that one out also Uh, the fantastic Howard Hawks uh, Cary Grant film Only Angels Have Wings is re-released this weekend as well so that's a five star banger if you if you want to check that one out and uh, a documentary Helen what's this one Advanced Style Advanced Style it's about basically um, older ladies who are uh, very 
uh, influential in fashion or mm-hmm. very into fashion um, that also got four stars it, um, people may know there's there have been books and, and so on and um, a street style uh, photographer called uh, I think it's Ari Cohen has been has been chronicling these ladies for some time so it's kind of an, a continuation and expansion of that mm-hmm. and uh, and they are fascinating these, these broads have some stories so yeah that's also four stars it's a very good week in the cinemas sounds good Good yeah. week, but Matt Max Fury Road is the film of the week. Absolutely, go and see it. Hell yes! And uh, you know, turn up in an eighteen wheeler that's on fire. And maybe. <laughs> uh, that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. But we'll be joined by this is exciting, Hugh Laurie. <gasps> wow! Hugh Laurie doesn't do many interviews. He's doing one with us. I'm excited about that. It's going to be fun. He's going to be here to talk Tomorrowland, a world beyond, of course, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Phil. Ciao. It's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to turn this flamethrower into guitar by attaching six strings to it. Don't ask me where I got a flamethrower from. That's my business, not yours. See you next week. Listener.